Welcome back to the Starbase Indie Podcast, where we talk to people who are inspired by Star Trek or science fiction to work towards a hopeful future. The episode you are about to hear was recorded during our live event in November of 2023. Thank you for listening. Uh, All right, so this is the Protopia versus Utopia panel. And the reason this is on our schedule is because Corey told me about them doing this panel at Gen Con, and I said, oh, we really got to have that at Starbase Indy. Please come do it at Starbase Indy. Um, and he said, yes, because yay. <laughs> <laughs> and then he dragged me into this. So. And then, yes, I... Kicking, <laughs> screaming. Maurice promised me that he would do one panel, the one at 4 o'clock today, um, on... Uh, writing diverse worlds, and it is not my fault that Corey got, dragged him into the one yesterday and this one. <laughs> I'm delighted by it, but it is not my fault. I only asked you for one. So well, you're here. <laughs> I'm here now. <laughs> In my light T'Challa cosplay. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm right there. I can't. I cannot judge. Yeah. So. So the original portion of this this uh, panel was about Wakanda, but we ended up talking about Star Trek through most of it. Um, so I don't know why you dressed up today. Right, I know, right? <laughs> um, so let's start with well, let's start with some introductions. Uh, Corey Ewing, local uh, writer, um, organizer, member of Kepper Institute, local community organization. Um, do a lot with poetry, teaching, coaching, competing, all the things. Um, also dabbling in photography, culinary arts. So kind of just doing all the things I can to be creative and uh, making space for other creatives as well. I want to run a monthly open mic here that centers uh, queer and especially queer BIPOC and trans artists in the city. Um, been at that for like it's been a lot of years. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, now in Cafe Creative with Maurice Broadus here. Maurice Broadus, science fiction and fantasy author um, of um, 18 books and over 100 short stories. Um, yeah, I got nothing else. I'm like, I'm, I'm just, I literally just blanked out of my whole bio. Just it like, gets shorter like, every I, time. I know, right? I'm just like, I, I know I do stuff, but. His bio is a novel, so like. <laughs> There are a lot of clips notes he can just pull from. Right. They, they so. usually just make you do a short reading when you do a panel. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so we'll stop there. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh-huh. yeah, my latest book uh, comes out in April. It's uh, T'Challa Declassified. So I get, get to tell the story of uh, Black Panther, thus, you know, always, always representing. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I think that's probably where I'll stop. Yeah. We'll get more out of you later. Yeah, All that's right, so probably what's going to happen. It'll come so. out. Yeah, yeah. So this is Protopia versus Utopia. And when you said that phrase to me, I was like, I haven't heard of the term Protopia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm probably not the only one. It's only about a dozen years old, so I feel a little better. Yeah, yeah. So talk about what a Protopia is and how it's contrasted with a Utopia. Uh, so with Protopias... Um, so usually what we get, we get the image of the utopia and the dystopia. Things go really well for one group and they're you know, hoarding everything they can to make a very eugenic state. I'll get into that clearly. Um, <laughs> and then we have dystopias. Everything went all to hell. There was a big apocalypse. You know, I'm a huge fan of dystopian shit too. So those are normally the two um, extremes that we get. But right there in the middle, um, skewing more towards utopia than right. dystopia though, um, is gonna be the protopia. I like to define, or 
explain Protopia as a utopia that realizes that it has flaws and it works to better those flaws for the whole instead of just catering to the few that control it. Um, yeah, the phrase is not very old at all. Um, if you look it up sometime, there's some really cool academic um, explanations of it, which I am not, uh, very much not academic with it, but um, the contrast of it I thought was very apparent Afterwards, I guess, when I went to apply it, especially when it comes to like these fictional universes, um, and Star, Star Trek seemed like one that was pretty, pretty blatant that was there, it just didn't have a name for like what we were seeing um, in the ideals that yeah. run throughout it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Corey's the expert on the definitions. So, um, but the one thing I'll add is that, uh, so I, I do remember part of my bio. So uh, I'm also in the middle, I'm writing a, um, a science fiction trilogy called Astro Black, and book one is, uh, is called Sweep of Stars, that one's out. And the next one comes out next year, I think, uh, Breath of Oblivion. Um, but so with my, my, my world of, of Moongano, um, so I have, I, and this is what I've been thinking through with that world, plus writing Black Panther with Wakanda, and then thinking through Star Trek also because of a project which I can't really talk about. But, <laughs> Too late. but all, all three of these worlds are presented as utopias. Uh, in fact, when I went in to write my own series, it was, uh, I, I was thinking as you know, creating this, this utopian society. But then it's just like, oh wait, no, utopias don't really work at a fundamental level. Mostly because people are involved. And once you factor that in, then it's like, oh, so actually what these are, protopias, uh, you know, in, in, in function. You know, mm -hmm. That idea in putting them together might be utopian, but in practicality, they are protopian by, just by default because yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like um, even if you take the Socratic method, how, you know, the best forms of government and the one that we can never have is supposed to be socialism. But we haven't had that because people fuck it up before we can get to that point. We have these ideals and like, yeah, this exists. It's out there. It's attainable. Uh, but for who? Um, and it got really screwed up when I just started looking at instances of utopias throughout history and they always coincide with eugenics. Like there are always groups being taken out. Um, it depends on where you fall in that group if you would consider it a utopia. Um, one argument is that Nazi Germany for Aryans, that was a utopia. And but we never get that side of utopias. We're always just given this, you know, perfect image of this paradise um, throughout a lot of media when there's still that underbelly of it that is incredibly gross and sustains it and it's not worth it whatsoever. Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, protopia utopias. And utopias it, are very gross. It, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and for years I'm like, ooh. Star Trek is utopia, and that's not wrong, but it's also not ideal in that way. So mm -hmm. talk about some examples of, of that in the Star Trek universe. Um, do you want to start off? Um, I, I can never remember the name of the... Or so... Um, 31. Thank you. That's, a, that's the one. Because he forgets it every time. Every single time. <laughs> every single time. Um, and so... Even when you're crafting, uh, and like I said, I've been thinking about this a lot because of you know trying to craft a you know what does this utopian uh, world look like? Um, it's like all right, so you craft the utopian world, but you know in getting to that point, there ha there is always seems to be like the people that have to get their hands dirty in order to either carve out the space or to sustain the space is what ends up 
functionally happening. Um, so it, it, but it's the examination of that work that I always find interesting. So like even Wakanda went un, unexamined in, in a lot of ways until like ta Coates uh, takes over and he's just like, hey, hey, uh, Wakanda didn't always exist. What, what did it look like before that? And so it's like, oh, wait, no, even the Wakandans took over this land and essentially drove out the, pe the original people who were in this land. And so you're like, oh, so even at the foundations, there's something, we'll just, we'll just say problematic uh, in, in its origins. And then, but then to maintain that, and, and this was, uh, I was, you know, as I was writing, again, writing the, the history of it and everything, like just how many secret police, secret intelligence organizations are a part of Wakanda? In, in, in sustaining it and protecting it. And it's all done, it's all done benign, right? So it's like, we're here to protect what we have, but it, to protect it, we are doing this. We have these organizations, both internal and external. Um, and so, because uh, in fact, I think I, I start counting them and I'm like, I think I stopped at like a half dozen organizations, but I think in, in delving further, I mean, some numbers, like there are a dozen different secret Wakandan intelligences uh, in, in, in action. Um, and so I, th I think about that, but then you turn it to Star Trek, and there are, you know, again, these same sort of secret, I won't, don't want to say secret police, but extra military, extra intelligence organizations that basically are there, again, to protect uh, uh, Starfleet protect the Federation, but they know that they are basically tasked with doing the ju doing the dirty jobs it takes to protect their utopia. And now, I'll, <laughs> I'll say that's the softball segue. <laughs> yeah, um, Since I, I literally just blanked out on the name of it again. Like you just told me, and it's like in one area, out the other. Like it's on my like, area fifty one. Yes, so, that that nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think a lot of the portrayal of Star Trek, um, up until a certain point, is very utopian in ideals and what they try to attain. Um, because then it's not necessarily looking at the ideals of Starfleet, but the people that operate on the fringes of it and seeing what they endure very much shows you the utopia status. So think like Bajor and everything that went on that planet, like Cardassia coming in, them being on the fringes of the Federation. So like they don't they don't get the same kind of protection that <laughs> the other places are getting. It's very apparent with that. Um, but then you see it move forward, I think, in later series. So like um, in, in Discovery, once Starfleet's pretty much gone under, has been destroyed, and they start to rebuild, then you start to see the protopian aspects of it when everybody's kind of being regarded, then everybody's actually getting that even playing field. So they're moving towards it, um, towards the end of it, but before that, yeah, it's just very protopian, or um, very utopian, and dystopian probably in a lot of areas as well. It's just not all rainbows and sunshine for everyone with it, so yeah. Yeah, someone made an interesting comment last time we did this, is that what is a utopia for some is a dystopia for others, yeah. and I've not been able to get that out of my head ever since. Mm -hmm. That was, Dr. Burke said it on your board, too. I don't know if she said it in the panel, <laughs> but. Ah, well, someone said it somewhere, uh -huh. and, and that's been st stuck in my head ever since. Mm -hmm. There's the episode, that has that whole utopian society and it, it's on the back of the one child that's got to be tortured, right? And they mm. did it in the original series and they just redid it in Strange New Worlds and I never know if said names, but someone in this room probably does. You know the one I'm talking about? Wait, what's Orion. it? What is it? Like Oh, yeah. It's, oh, Was it the season one of the original series? 
<laughs> Can you tell which season of Stranger Worlds I watched? Second, second season of Stranger Worlds. Yeah, they. Okay, we'll ignore this because I, I never know. Quite, I know, I know well, but they just redid it, and I know it was written by, um, I think, DC Fontana originally. Anyway, shut up, Lisa. Let someone else ask a question. You had a fantastic question for this panel yesterday yes. on exactly this. Come up yes, and say it. Yes, I did. It was fantastic. Mic, <laughs> no, please come say it into the mic because I won't get all your nuance when you re oh, okay. record. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank it matches. Um, okay, so my question yesterday at a panel about Afrofuturism was I asked what do you think of Afrofuturism uh, as in a way of op opposition to um, how often utopian societies slip into eugenics? And uh, also, what do you, what kind of feelings do you have about Star Trek's most famous eugenicist character being a person of color? So, so, I had two questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we went, uh. But now you've had a night to think about it. Yeah, so. yeah. And someone went and did his homework, so go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think oftentimes the act of opposition to great oppression can always be as forceful and as gross as the oppression itself. And oftentimes people will come to speak the language of their oppressor in stark contrast to revolt against it. Um, ugh, that feels like, oof, right now. Um, it's a little poignant. Um, so yeah, so you like, just because he is a person of color and he may have endured um, all the things before it, um, especially with the eugenics war and everything going on with that and how that feeling of being other can be driven to an extreme. I see how that, I see how that like character can be set up but also very much not the norm and very much the exception when it comes to it. Khan, um, yeah, Khan was, there was just nothing good there. <laughs> um, the first iteration in Wrath of Khan, but then, God, I, so I tried to go back and watch old Benedict do his thing and that was a terrible, terrible movie. <laughs> I'm sorry if anybody loved it, but yo, Kurt. Oh, yeah, it wasn't good. Kurt okay. called Spock pointy like in the first five fucking minutes, and everybody breezed through it. I was like, no, fuck this dude. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, um, so yeah, those are my feelings on Khan. And um, I'll double down on the Afrofuture when it comes to uh, utopias. I think it should work in direct opposition to a utopia. Um, well, it's kind of like the existence of a black future doesn't mean no one else exists. Um, <laughs> so it should very much work towards all of us being in the picture, not just yeah. us not being in it. So kind of kind of chime in with that, the Audre Lorde quote about you cannot dismantle the master's house using the master's tools. So there's that. But how would you compare then, I'm just basically lobbing the question back to you. Uh, how would you compare, I mean, because you bring up Khan, how, is, how different is Khan from Killmonger? Not, very much not. It's that person that's driven to the extreme. And we get these like anti-heroes where to an extent you see what they the goal that they're trying to achieve, but the means is not fucking worth it. They're just as evil and diabolic. Um, yeah, so I see the direct parallels there. But also like Killmonger didn't kill millions of fucking people. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so he was definitely like con light. Like, yeah, once you get, you can't commit a genocide and just be like, oh, I'm so good people. It's like, that doesn't really work that way. But he yeah. was gearing up to do that. He was gearing up to arm. Hey, that was about Wakanda. I'm going to. Okay. All right. So, but, uh, but, and I don't, I don't brought that up because, again, factoring the, the person of color being the, the lead uh, antagonist mm-hmm. there, um, even though the cause might have been fairly sympathetic, but again, we're talking about, you know, still the means of wh- by which, which is what yeah. I end up wrestling with my novel series, the means by which we're doing these things can't be discounted. Mm-hmm. And it, it, like, it then spoils the whole fruit. Uh, yeah. if, if if we still are doing it by the same means. Yeah, you're no better than the person that came before right. you. And then right. that's what people are left with afterwards. Like, no, nah, they're still sucking the same shit. <laughs> Just a different face doing it. Right. Or the end of uh, the Hunger Games trilogy where she doesn't shoot the person that everyone expects her to shoot. She's like, we're not, we're not going to keep doing this. Just because mm-hmm. we won, we're not going to restart the same thing. Yep. If the trick is to change the system without becoming the monsters you were fighting in the first place. Yeah, like, do you want to dismantle the figurehead of a system or do you just want to dismantle the system? I'd rather take out the fucking system than get rid of a figurehead that will just get reappointed by somebody else, even shittier. Oh, that never happens. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, changing that shit from the inside, like, I also, I just don't believe in right. that kind of methodology anymore. I was in the military, so, like, I used to be that person. I definitely thought that shit worked. It fucking doesn't. It's a whole institution. You got to change the whole shit. It ain't like, I'm going to be in this thing. But nah, you got to do some radical ass shit to an extent. <laughs> to an extent. It's, what does that radical look like? Is I think what it boils down to. I mean, it always manifests differently, doesn't it? Right. Like, I think a lot of, I think there's a spectrum of it because, you know, no one people are a monolith. And so you're going to have different people acting with their own agency who will find different mean different points of that spectrum to fall under. So you got those that are like, oh, I'm going to be on the inside. I'm going to change this shit. Oh, I'm going to make something that's counterintuitive to everything that they want to do and dismantle the fuck out of it. Oh, I want to just wipe the slate clean and see if we can start over again. So you got people operating <laughs> all along that. Um, you know, after a certain point, it's like, you're, it's, it's no better. <laughs> yeah, that's the trick, right? It's not, that we've, we've got all of these legendary stories about how we just smash the existing system into rubble and then that's the happy ending, but it's not, Mm-mm. right? And that's the thing about Protopia is a little better every day. It was uh, Kevin Kelly who coined mm-hmm. it and that was the definition of it's just a little better and a little better and how do you get to that? And that visioning that you were talking about yesterday, Maurice, in how you created your trilogy. Mm-hmm. And so talking to folks about what would better look like. Right. Mm. So say more about that. Um, in fact, I'm going to still tie back to your question also. Um, <laughs> That's a damn good question. <laughs> right. It's because it's just one of those things. Like, again, it's just one of the things that, that um, I didn't even realize I was wrestling with it in my novel series. For, uh, and so. So with the creation of the Astro Black Universe, it was the whole premise of it is like, what does it look like if we win, right? So we, we're in, we're doing this community organizing. We are, you know, uh, dis- trying to dismantle uh, the master's house, as it were. But you know, what does it look like if we win? What do we work? What are we working towards? So I basically spent a, a year and a half just dreaming alongside my neighbors, like, if we win, what would we do? Um, so what could an educational system look like? What could a, a, an economic system look like? What could a way of governing and policing look like? Um, and what, what's the role of science and the arts in, in the world that we want to uh, establish? And so uh, Dream Alongside Neighbors uh, laid the groundwork for this, uh, for, again, the, the, the ideal 
was the utopia, but it's like, no, I, I like Protopia better because even they recognize, oh no, we've messed up along the way. One of the ways they messed up along the way uh, involved how do we involve AI in community? Um, but that wasn't the question they first asked. The question they asked was how do we use AI? Um, and then they realized the way we are us utilizing AI, especially if AI is actual AI and self-aware, is like, oh, wait, we've just instituted technological slavery. Maybe don't do that. <laughs> oh, this is a problem. <laughs> um, and so by the, wrong? Right. And so by the time, uh, and so that was in their past, and I'd written that into the past, um, because by the time the society comes along, they have now new principles, and so AI is a member of the community. AI works alongside them the way they, and, and they move to support each other. So, okay, um, just like in the past, they had a military unit that they basically said, all right, in order to protect ourselves, we, we've developed the, uh, this military unit um, called the HOVA. Um, and, but, yeah, yeah, there, yeah there's, a, there's a whole bunch of hip-hop things that are bubbling under the surface. They're like, these are jokes just for me. And I'm like, <laughs> um, especially when they have their weapons are named the Busta and the DMX. But, you know, that's the whole thing going on there that are jokes just for me. Um, Can you imagine a weapon with the energy of Buster Rhymes right, coming at like, <laughs> So anyway, the um, great man that's stuck in my head. Um, but the military unit, they, you know, and again in the moment they're just like, oh, well, we want everybody, to, you know, to, we need them to be able to ha have an enhanced endurance, enhanced strength, and da 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 da, and da 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 da. It's like, oh, and they're protecting us, and and we've just created a eugenic society, didn't we? <laughs> And so now it's like, okay, we've done that. Now what does it look now? And again, that was in their past, but they're still working alongside uh, the result. You know, and actually it does, it does have a lot of space seed sort of thing, uh, elements to it because the, the hover's still around. So now, and so, but again, as a society recognized, we have done bad by you. You know, we have, you know, in a lot of ways stripped you of your humanity in the name of service and community. So now, what does that look like? And, and so, uh, so now what do we do about that? Um, and, and, and how do we wrestle with that? And so they in, in end up installing protocols about uh, genomic protocols and what does it look like to own your own genome? What does it look like to, you know, that is what, you, no, that is yours. That is yours, uh, no, you know, you have control over that. Um, and then as a culture, as a, as a community, what does it look like for us to, again, support um, actually, it's funny. Hang on, there was something that got said. Uh, I was in a conversation with. Uh, so I still actually still do my Saturday morning coffees, even though we're not really world building anymore. But we're still kind of world building together. Um, so I was uh, meeting with one of the elders, and and he he said this line that I was like, oh no, I'm stealing this. Um, but he goes, community is healing if it's designed to support you and if it allows you to be the best version of you. And that's the ethos. Ooh, that's that. the ethos. And that's, and that's when now they apply that to, all right, uh, uh, the best version of you doesn't necessarily mean the genetic best version of you. No, it means who are you holistically? How do we support the best version of who you are? Uh, mind, body, spirit. Yeah, because there seems to be that fine line between healthcare and then all our eugenics that we see in a lot of things. Like people don't know when to stop. And it's like, yeah, take care of the person, yeah. not the person you need them to be. Right. <laughs> because, because, yes, because, and that's part of it is the community realizes that, oh, when we do this to other people, it's not for their benefit, which is an interesting thing. It's not for their benefit. Mm -hmm. It's because we're using them 
basically transactionally to service this role. Yeah. And it's like, oh, wait, no, that's, that has all sorts of problematic elements to it. Mm-hmm. Because now we're straight so far away from who we say we want to be that we're, we're mistreating our own people at that point. Mm-hmm. So, so we haven't wrestled with this ever since yesterday at all, thanks. <laughs> I stayed up last night and, ro- and ro- watched Rat the Con. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we was worried about it. I thought about this shit. I didn't go to sleep. So we take none of your, we take none of your questions lightly. We will wrestle with your questions. Yeah, this is why I made you ask it again. <laughs> So what, since we're talking about protopias, what are some positive examples? Are there positive, I mean, aside from obviously Sweep of Stars, which everybody should get and read um, by Maurice Broaddus, and probably some of your other work have these same elements. But so what are some of your favorite examples of what this looks like and how we see it? There are so many dystopian and so many real problematic utopian. But where do we see the protopian ethos show up in pop culture? Mm. I don't know about a pop culture ever, so I will give a real world one. Um, I would say uh, Black Wall Street was very much an example of a protopia. It was a very short-lived one because it was a protopia um, and because everybody, a lot of people were black there. Um, but yeah, that's a real life one that I would give example to. Talk um, more about why that is and how, how it exemplified that and give us more information. Um, oh God, now I'm trying to think. These questions are hard to come up with on the spot. <laughs> Um, here, let me come back to you. You go and then I'll, sorry, I'll get sorry. my thoughts together on that one. <laughs> so, Protopias in pop culture. Um, man, I, I'm literally just ticking off things in my head. I'm just like Ursula Le Guin, is with that count? Um, uh, man, Arcady Martin's book, A Memory Called Empire, um, wrestles with a lot of the themes in there. Yeah, you know, it's just. Yeah, it's hard for me to come up with examples right off the top of the bat. I do, I do really enjoy A Memory Called Empire, but I don't think it qualifies as a protopia as much as a, as a society that's just wrestling with itself. But it's also a great trilogy of books, so there's that. So A Memory, uh, a memory Called Empire. Um, who else have I been reading lately? Shall I let Molly ask her question? Yeah, ask, ask, ask that. Ask but, I mean, I like, still like Star Trek, though, as a protopia. Yeah, I still say, like, enjoy in the, the Federation as a protopia. We start to see it more. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, even going back and, uh, and um, researching, like, the roots of the Federation, it's like, here are the questions that got asked, and I can see the roots of where the, is it protopia, is like, oh, but you know what? Here are the questions you didn't ask. Uh, and you can just see that, that mm-hmm. the importance of you know why it, I, I would frame it as a protopia is because um, as long as people can come back and ask the questions and go, hey, what about this? And then if you make the adjustments, no, you're still a protopia. And you're still yeah. on that trajectory. It's if when you don't make those adjustments that you fall into. I mean, I, I, in fact, even when I look at Wakanda, there was a point where uh, under a lot of Wakandan leadership, they just did not make the adjustments flat mm-hmm. out. And it's like only under T'Challa's rule and then Shuri's rule. Um, in fact, the fact that it's still rule is also still a problem. Um, but you know, but you're seeing. Say more about that. Huh? Say more about that. 
Um, well, so again, so I'm going back to Ta-Nehisi's run, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates' run, and so there were two major, uh, two major things that uh, uh, gets examined un under his run, and so one is this whole, uh, uh, this whole, uh, uh, the first one is about T'Challa's power as as Black Panther, because I don't think people understand the nature of just how powerful T'Challa is as one person. He is the head of the military. He is the head of the religion. He is the head of the economy, all at once. Um, and where this this and that's so a bad thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nothing problematic about this. I mean, at if he's all. the right guy, isn't that right. what we want? Yeah, one dude to rule right, them all. Right. Exactly. Uh, and and you would think and and the way it's posited is yes, you have the right guy who was built for this role. Except, then you do things like, what is it like being married to T'Challa? Right, and this was like one of the things which I really st I really stuck with me, which was uh, when him and Storm and, and and someone rescue me if I go too deep down my nerd bag here. Although this is, is not the crowd that's going to rescue me. Never mind. Is Never mind. Too deep down right. your nerd bag here. Right. Um, but so Storm and Black Panther get married, um, and but and they go through their you know and they're together for uh, for several years, several years. But then the relationship ends. But the relationship ends with T'Challa going, oh no, I've annulled our marriage. Because he can just do that with a sentence. Which means, and, and then I thought about that even in the, you know, I'm like looking at my marriage going like, oh, honey, I need you to do this. And I'm like, oh no, I can annul this marriage with a word. You get to do dishes tonight, you know? Like there's a certain power imbalance in the relationship just inherent when you got one person who's like literally the head of the religion, you know, you're trying to get to do dishes. Right, um, and so, but he controls the economy. He is like the physical embodiment of the economy, all all that power. So that's all the wealth, all the power of being the of the direct bloodline. And so, what gets examined under Ta-Nehisi Coates is there becomes a movement of the people that says no one man. The no one man movement starts because the, what you realize with that one person ruling is there's no room for the people to speak into that. Yeah, I'm there to protect all of you, but there's no room for you to speak into the system or that governance or anything like that. So the no, no one man movement starts, and then event, which leads to basically a civil war within Wakanda, and then a, and then a redistribution of power because of that. So that it's no longer no one man. I mean, it's no longer one man who's controlling all of that. Um, and so that was a huge shakeup. Then the next one was, uh, let's look at, you know, what does it look like as Wakandas as, and the roots of Wakanda in colonization as colonizers? And what does that look like? Um, and what does it look like to go, oh, we have done this thing. How do we repair that in our, in our society? And then with those who became before us, what does that look like? So both those things get, get examined under, under Ta-Nehisi Coates. And those are two very powerful storylines, but again, were unexamined questions in Wakanda that now get examined. Um, and so I say all that to go, you know, and then tying it back to Star Trek, um, you know, with the Federation, it's like, you know, I'm, 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 like I said, I'm, act, I'm actively researching what the, were the origins of, this, of the Federation, what, what were those first conversations like? What was those first, hey, how do we choose who become members within the, this culture that we're trying to establish? And what, is, what does it mean for this culture to establish? You know, because now it's like, because I, I talked about this with Worf yesterday, Worf essentially gets enculturated into the Federation, not into being Klingon. 
And then he has to figure out, you know, as he's grown up in this, what does it mean to now essentially deculturize and, and walk in his Klingonness? So. Um, I had to figure out where I was going to stop with Black Wall Street. Um, so it's a, uh, it's the, the best way to put it is the precursor to the Tulsa massacre. Um, so look at all the good stuff that was going on there before that. Um, people are more aware of it now with the massacre, but <clears throat> everything leading up to it, that was the really important part. That was the work that was being done and how thriving the community was with it. Um, so yeah, check that out. Be more informed on that. Um, of your own will. Um, but I'll go back to um, your point when you were saying that it can question itself, the Federation can. And I think that um, I referenced it yesterday in Strange New Worlds, like Lahan's trial, um, when they went back and to look at all the eugenics laws that they had in place and everything. I think that was one of those examples where you see the sometimes utopia, sometimes dystopia of the Federation have uh, applied more um, protopia mm -hmm. morals. Um, and their actual practice. Yeah. And it was a dope ass episode. I love that episode. Mm -hmm. so. Um, so I don't know if you've watched, uh, there's a newer series on Netflix called Bones. Not yet, it's on my watch list. Okay, I'm not gonna spoil, <laughs> if, if you think I'm gonna spoil, cover your ears, sorry. Um, there's a quote that was in it that has been stuck in my head for a couple of weeks now since I watched it and they were saying that you cannot guarantee freedoms without taking freedoms away and just kind of wanting your opinion and idea of that um, without giving too much of it away it's a lot of time travel sorry I hate time travel stuff because you can make up any rule you want in time travel and I don't like it but he basically is going back to create a utopian time in the future, but essentially by mass murder. Um, and justifying it in the sense of, you know, the ends justify means and whatnot, and you can only get those freedoms by, well, basically getting rid of other people to get those freedoms. So just kind of your idea in that sense and, and how it can tie into Protopia versus moving into a utopia. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, this was an interesting question when, when we were doing the world building for my book series. Because one of the first questions that someone asked was, how do we create outside of the shadow of history? We've been impacted by history, so, and, and then we're impacted by the, the, still the, the lessons of history, meaning the cultures of oppression. So how do we create outside of that? Uh, which was a huge huge uh, question to consider because if you, because the bottom line is if, if, we are, if we start building something, nine times out of 10, it's gonna be in a re, out of a reaction to what we've already experienced, right? But then even in that reaction, we've internalized a lot of the lessons of history and, the, and, and oppression, which means we lead to exactly that. Um, and so, and I was struggling with what it looks like to create outside of the history of oppression. Um, because, you know, we're broken people, and broken people left our own devices. If we don't deal with that trauma and that history and everything, we will lead to broken creations and broken method methodologies. Um, and so, uh, so I, 
quote unquote solved the problem. Obviously, there were still some holes in this solve in this in this in this equation. But like, what does it look like to first before we begin creating? What does it look like to heal together as a community? So what does it look like to just take some time and like, no, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to build a thing. We're just going to be and exist as a people in community, do community healing, and then once and then as we go through this healing journey, now we try to create as we try and heal from, as, as we're coming out of that shadow of the, the, those learned systems, now let's try to create something. But creating in the midst of that leads to only furthering of, of, of that thing. Because again, it becomes easy to justify, you know, the, these poor methodologies of, 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 of uh, well, the ends justify the means. I mean, yeah, it becomes easy to justify. and. No, and, and there is little accountability when it comes to that. And so what does it look like to build all these sort of things into the process? Um, because like I said, history repeats for a reason. And um, I really hate time travel stuff. I really, really hate time travel. Doesn't work. If you time travel, you're gonna end up in a fucking mountain because the earth is spinning and you probably didn't account for that shit. Right. <laughs> That's my random time travel. Um, <laughs> Versus literally the bodies of time travelers who failed to stuck in fucking bricks somewhere, or, or not on the planet, right? Yeah, right. So, really, because because my rant begins with so about X Men and X Men's history, mm. Uh, mm. and that's a whole, but that's a whole. <sighs> um, I gotta say something about the time travel real quick. Is, um, there's always one. Space-time is affected by gravity, so arguably you could say that the rotational force of the gravity, because Earth's gravity isn't uniform, you'd end up relatively in the similar space, maybe. Yeah, but what about the buildings well, see, and all the go. other things that change in that space in the meantime? That's a fair one. Yeah. Bomb. Drop the mic. Please be nice to my mic. Right. Oh. <laughs> um, I think... The tangibility of freedom gets very tricky because it's something that can easily be taken away. But when it goes to giving freedom, it's whose idea of freedom are you giving? Um, and once again, people really fuck it up uh, when it gets to that point. Um, yeah, I served in the military in the early 2000s. That whole like giving freedom shit feels real nasty um, to me. Um, and I think it's a very imperialistic um, viewpoint to go from. I think if anything, like giving, giving choice to people would be an awesome motivator, but giving freedom feels very icky because it's always whose idea of freedom, what are they free to do, and it's what you will allow them to do. Um, and so it's very much that control factor that goes into it. And maybe you're giving them some shit that they didn't want to fucking get in the first place, and no one stops to ask that most of the time. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think I think giving choice is the actual way to give people freedom, not necessarily giving them what rights you think they should have uh, for it. Yeah. Um, oh shit! <laughs> hey, we need another homework question. <laughs> I got space on trials. Um, well, I only I only have one question this time, um, and it would uh, it's something that I wanted to know your thoughts on yesterday, but it's much better suited for this panel. Um, what are your thoughts on how Star Trek as a series interacts with uh, the concept of disability? Because um, it has a habit of being very hit or miss, and I just wanted to know your mm -hmm. thoughts on it. 
I think they usually miss. Um, I think in Strange New Worlds, we start seeing some hits going on. But prior to that, it's very much a lot of erasure happens. Everybody's just very abled and nothing around them is like adjusted for anyone whatsoever. So everybody's just, no, we worked out all the problems people would have with their bodies. We committed eugenics, but you know, it still goes back into that. Um, so I think the not handling it is very dismissive and there's a lot of erasure that happens with it. So it's, yeah, I think a lot of it misses. Um, some characters are finally starting to hit on and I think that'll go back to like taking care of like who's in the writing room and representation that happens um, alongside that. You and your questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's side but a classic right. hit that I do really like is Dax. I thought they handled Dax like really fucking awesomely back in the day, and it gave me like concepts that I didn't know yet, and it introduced me to it and made me very okay with things down yeah. the line. And just I guess the way they handled like all the trills, like the trills are some of the dopest fucking characters that they have running throughout. And I think the handling of those are very much hits, but like. The race full of black people that you see in the whole fucking series are all like trying to destroy everything inside and can't stop being crazy warriors and shit. Like, uh, yeah. So, so would Jordy be considered a hit or a miss? Um, I have mixed feelings on Jordy. Uh, Good. Okay, because that's where I was at too. But I just like I just wanted to see where we were. Where we're. I have very mixed feelings on Jordy um, because uh, I think that when um, specifically one of my favorite episodes of the Next Generation, um, "Loud as a Whisper," that has um, what that features a deaf character who was written by a deaf person um, and performed by a deaf actor, um, is one of the best. Um, representations of disability in Star Trek, I think. Um, and that's why it's one of my favorite episodes. And I love the way that they treat Jordy in that episode. Um, and uh, they ask him if he um, resents uh, his visor being blind. And he says, well, since they're both part of me and I like myself, um, I don't resent either. Um, but that's very contradictory to the way that they treat uh, his disability in some other episodes where, like, some episodes, the only like arc he's given is, wow, I wish I wasn't blind. And um, he, uh, I think that they were grappling with some very um, complex concepts that they weren't quite sure how to handle. And I think that they did not talk to a blind person um, at all. <laughs> well, that pretty much sums up my feelings. <laughs> but honestly, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I was because uh, and I, I didn't realize they had uh, a deaf person writing, uh, writing it, that. It which the, it's the man who plays uh, the uh, deaf. Um, uh, oh, I, his name is Reva. I forget what his job is, but um, yeah, yeah. yeah it, he he was the one who pitched the idea. He's the one who helped write it um, and smooth some things out. And he's the one who performs the character as well. Yeah. So shocking how a lot of these problems yeah. are smoothed out when shocking you. How yeah. Yeah. Right. When you when you, yeah, right, exactly. Not as shocking that they didn't just go back to that formula repeatedly after that. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I like your answer. <laughs> so I'm like, wait, answer your own question. That's, that's where I'll, I'll end with. Wait, if I can come in Cisco, you definitely can't come in motherfucking Jordy the Fool. I, I, I did not. <laughs> I passed it along. <laughs> you have a love for Jordy. Uh, LeVar Burton, like, <laughs> Fair. Yeah. the more you know will live in my head rent-free till the day I die, um, it will be passed on for generations. <laughs> yeah. Is that living rent-free or is that in a guest of honor suite? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right, penthouse. Yeah. 
So we have about five minutes. Molly, I see your hand. If you want to come up, I see you in the mic. So then, in, since we got about five minutes, um, just kind of wrapping with the protopia versus dystopia, what would you say to maybe help encourage people of the world to move towards a protopia? Because I, idealistically, working towards that means your bias has to be challenged. And it also means you might be wrong. <gasps> oh my. <laughs> and utopia means a good majority of people who exist now will not have a place or a job or not that they can see. Because for example, I'm a social worker, so my job is dealing with chaos. And if there is no chaos, I have no purpose. So what kind of things would you say to help people go, hmm, we might actually, it might be good to have a work towards this protopia and I can still see myself in it. That's funny. So, someone asked me, they, they were like, well, Marie, so many of your stories involve, um, I forget how they phrased it, but they're just like op oppression and da 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 da, all, all these sort of things. And they're like, so if, if the world got fixed, then what would you do? And I'm like, please let me be unemployed. <laughs> Because that means the world is a lot a better place. I will gladly be unemployed if that's the case. Plus, I can always adapt and write different stories. So I mean, there's that. Um, but when I th when I think about your question, like how, how do we encourage that? And uh, I keep coming back to two things. So one, how do we see people's whole selves, right? How do we embrace each other's whole self as they are, who they are, and then but through the eyes of who they could be also. So how do we do that? So we have that, and then on the other hand, I'm like, how do we create space for each other? All right, and so you have these two things playing in conjunction with, with, with you know, I'm creating space. I'm creating space for you, even if we disagree. So and in that space, we can disagree in this space, because if if in the end it's also about me embracing you and your whole self, and how do I support you and your whole self? How do I encourage your best version of that self? You know, these things have to have to move in tandem with each other, which but they also begin with a shift in mindset and, you know, trying to create that shift in mindset. That that's that's life work. You know, that's generational work as we move towards how do we shift this this mindset into, hey, how do I prioritize you? How do I prioritize your well-being as core to who we are as a people to bring out the best in us as a people? Because, you know, at the Kepler Institute. We can't be our best unless Corey's at his best. And we recognize that. So if Corey's, in, if Corey's not in a good space, oh no, we need to be about how do we support Corey because we, we aren't good if Corey's not good. And broadening that out to a whole culture. So it's generational work, but that's literally, when people talk about the hope that I cling to, that's the hope I cling to. You know, That's the vision, that's what I'm trying to work towards. And I love that the answer to we can't be good if Corey's not good in Protopia is, well, let's support Co Corey, as opposed to in maybe a utopia it would be. So we're just going to ignore that Corey exists. Yeah, send his ass out in the snow. Like, let him, let him not come back. Oh, and it's also not, it, I, and I didn't say let's fix Corey either, right? Right. So it's not about, you know, so now, now we move away from that eugenics question, which obviously still haunts me, um, but it's not about fixing Corey. Because you don't assume he's broken. Because we don't assume he's broken. I'm sorry, go ahead. I don't know. I couldn't tell if I was still in the room or not. Right, um, right. My bad. This, this is a very third person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say in a protopia, like there, that work is always still needed. Um, so continue to do it. 
Um, in a utopia, it definitely wouldn't be because <laughs> they wouldn't give a damn. Dystopias also pretty much just probably wouldn't give a damn. Um, so I would say like keep acting, keep doing the work. Um, I think a lot, something that a lot of people need to realize is that what we call the work, working in community, um, working to better society for others, there's no end game. You just keep at it until you can anymore. Um, so like the idea that we'll fix it or we'll be done, nah, it doesn't really apply in this situation. Just keep at it and endure. And I think that's what'll get us there as close as we can be until the next batch comes around and keeps up the mantle and keeps on keeping on. It's gardening, not manufacturing. You're not done, it's a cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. So any last comments before we run completely out of time? Do you remember anything from your bio you want to throw in? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Anything else about Wakanda? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to squeeze any more Wakanda stuff into this panel. Uh, no, uh, I uh, look here. A lot of the work that I do. No, in fact, let me scrap that. A lot of the work that we do, um, and a lot of the problems we encounter. You know, even when I'm dealing with other organizations or other infrastructures, things like that. You know, I can pretty much pinpoint to a failure of imagination. Right when a lot of the a lot of the problems that we come up, up against, and and when they start the so solutions that get proposed, usually start with a failure of imagination, um, and that's why I appreciate communities like this and conversations like this because there's no shortage of imagination in this room. There's no shortage of questions that can be asked, and you know, and and I love my good troublemakers, you know. So I and I, I love the spirit that uh, that informs this conversation. So. Uh, dismantle your local systems. All of them. Fuck them. <laughs> That's about it. On a t -shirt. <laughs> With the flourish. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, act locally because that will expand out into much farther realms. Yeah. So take action. Um, otherwise, you allow utopia to manifest and that won't be good for nobody. So, yeah, act now. Don't wish you had later. Yeah. Start in the spaces you were in with the people you know. So. All right, cool. we are out of time, so uh, thank you, thank you, thank you Thanks. so much. Thanks for having us. Thank all of you for coming. Thanks for listening to the Starbase Indie Podcast. To find out more about what we're doing now, including our live event coming up in November, check us out at starbaseindie.org or follow us on social media at Starbase Indie. See you on the Starbase.